Welcome to Business Lines State of the Economy podcast where you will find insight analysis and the story behind the numbers. Hello and welcome to yet another edition of Business Lines State of Economy podcast. I'm your host Hari Priya, a tech reporter for the newspaper. In today's episode we will be talking about how the Indian IT sector in India is leveraging generative AI as the top tier companies are now actively making AI specific investments. We have with us today Siddharth Pai to give us more insights. Thank you so much for joining us today, sir. My pleasure. Thank you, Haripriya, for having me. So to begin with, in the last couple of months, we have seen all the IT majors making AI announcements. So mm-hmm. to give us some idea about what's happening in the space, what is the market opportunity that these companies are seeing? And could this generative AI be a new significant revenue source for them? Sure. People who have been following this curve for a while will realize that this is not something that's very new. It's been happening for a while. So let me, I guess, step back a little bit and talk about why there's so much excitement now suddenly. In the last couple, three years or so, there have been three or four remote labs as well as labs that are associated with specific firms such as Microsoft and Google, Facebook and so forth that have been working on something specific called generative AI which is a little different than the overall AI that's been in play for the last several years. In fact, even with generative AI, none of the mathematics or the algorithms are are new in any fashion. They are decades of years old in terms of how computers work through to come up with uh, output. The only difference being that they are now able to deal with very, very large parts of data and very, very quick computing in order to be able to come up with usable output. So the main change that's happened in the last several months is the introduction of two or three specific players, um, such as OpenAI's ChatGPT, Google's BERT, which uh, is also now being called BARD, which is part of their search engine, and a few others. One is um, Facebook and then a few other independent and open source uh, players as well. Since ChatGPT came out, the curiosity based upon what it could do was extremely high because it was able to actually come up with cogent, coherent answers, and or I say answers, so to speak, which seemed as if there was actually a real human being talking on the back end. So this actually represented suddenly a step change in the view of AI. And lots of people took up to it in a big way. So now it's taken up the public imagination in a large way as well. So what the Indian majors have done, just as everybody else has done in this space, is they've realized that this is now table stakes. They need to be able to bring it to any conversation. And so they've all started off their own little pieces of work with respect to it. I'll stop talking here because there are some very specific pieces that uh, they've been doing, which basically increase their productivity. But I'll stop just to make sure that, you know, I've the overall sort of landscape as I've just laid it out. Did get the context, sir. So given that that's the context, I think basically the realization has been with most of these firms that uh, that there is a significant increase in productivity that they can offer to their clients, either by doing work for their clients or by using generative AI in-house for their own work. So let me be very specific. If you are a computer programmer, in the days before generative AI, we had already moved into something called composable programming which basically meant that you did not need to be a bolts and nuts type of programmer because of the existence of so many open source libraries that are out there. So as a programmer, you were more of a person who would compose a program. So you would go to different open source libraries, cut and paste specific pieces of code that you thought would work, 
and then stitch them together in a way that they provided certain level of functionality that your client was looking for. Of course, you had to test and make sure that it actually worked correctly. And you would have to make changes to whatever it is that you stitched together. So you were bringing in all these different pieces from different parts of the web where they were available. The salient difference now with generative AI is you don't need to go yourself and do this searching anymore in order to bring the components to stitch together. Or for that matter, even stitch the components together. You can give a very, very simple command to generative AI, which automates that process for you. So it's basically automating the process of what is already freely and openly available on uh, open source libraries across the web. So the productivity for you as a programmer now has gone up exponentially because you don't have to sit there and find all these libraries like you used to have to. It comes to you pre-stitched or pre or semi-ready-made, so to speak. So now you are spending time not so much on the scraping of, of this code from various sources. You're spending time on making sure that the composition of it is right and that it will actually, in fact, increase you know the productivity of what you're trying to do. So in many ways, the job of a programmer has become partially redundant, but also much easier. So if you look at the kind of expectation that firms such as McKinsey, for instance, have been talking about, they've been talking about these these generative AI pieces of uh, that are coming together have the potential to automate some of our work activities to the extent of 60 to 70% of what we are doing today, which is a significant amount. So for instance, if one were writing an essay or if I were writing a column like I do each week for various newspapers, instead of having to go and find all the source information myself, I can just ask a chat GPT to put something together. Now, of course, it's up to me to make sure that the information that it's using is correct and is more or less answering the questions that, that I'm putting to it. But I don't have to go out and find it myself. So the 60 to 70% increase in the amount of time that, uh, or decrease in the amount of time that I'm spending in trying to put some of this together today is actually a huge productivity boost. That then says, that if you start taking it further, its ability to manage natural language, its ability to manage specific uh, queries, which are normal conversation like you and I are having right now, is going to change the way we work. So the overall view is that that will translate into somewhere close to somewhere between one and three, three and a half percentage points annually to overall productivity growth across all across all labor classes, not just, uh, like I said, a programmer or somebody who's writing uh, information or is putting stitching together images or whatever. So there is a step change significantly in terms of how I can automate the work that I do, especially if it's creative and especially if it's generative. So creative would be things like writing essays or articles, would be things like putting together image collages, and would also be things like putting together computer programs. Don't forget that computer programmers are also creators. They're putting together pieces of code which work to give a certain specific business output or function. So the creativity part of it over there is taken over by generative AI and makes their job significantly easier. Interesting. So it sounds like there's a lot of potential, but given that investments previously, whenever there's a new tech introduced, something like a metaverse or a blockchain that we saw in the recent years, the same kind of huge announcements were made, but nothing much has materialized it from much as what we understand. Yeah. So do you think uh, generative AI will be something like that? Or is this something that can add more value and these investments are not just a part of hype cycle and the interest won't really fade out after a time? 
So that's a very good question. So a couple of things. One is that, as I pointed out in the beginning of this conversation, nothing is really fundamentally different. These algorithms and the capability of them for the, to output what they're outputting have been around for decades. What has changed is now the ability for one of these programs to go out and crawl the whole web and find out all the information that's out there and come back to you in a cogent fashion in a short time. So what's happened is that's actually caught public imagination in a huge way. So as a result, this hype cycle that you're talking about is definitely there. I mean, everybody seems to think that, uh, you know, this is going to be the panacea for all ills, and it can be used for everything that needs a human mind, which of course is not true. The second thing is that it still needs a lot of supervision because it has a large propensity to have what's called G-I-G-O, which is garbage in, garbage out. There's a lot of garbage that's out there on the web. And so therefore, it's feeding on that garbage. So what it's going to generate in terms of this generative AI is it's going to just generate more garbage. So uh, it needs somebody to actually watch what's going on. So the reason why I think it's got so much of hype is because of the optic that this is seen. And it's a gimmick. You know, at the end of the day, if you just ask a simple question and you get a thousand word answer in an essay format in response, it obviously is a gimmick which will take your attention and everybody is... uh, willing to use it and see what it can do for their jobs. Uh, But to your question about whether it will work the same way as blockchain or Web3 or some of the other things that are out there, I think we yet to see. I think it'll certainly make certain aspects of the work easier. But to say that it's a panacea for all ills or it's going to shift and create a new paradigm like blockchain was supposed to, I don't think it's going to happen as quick as as some people out there are, are predicting it. Blockchain, as you well as you correctly pointed out, has been around since 2007. So here we are sitting 16 years later, and it's really not changed very much. But the only thing we have is cryptocurrency that's based on blockchain because people have actively, especially places like banks, which can be disintermediated, have actively stopped it being picked up. That can happen with technology like this as well because it still makes a lot of mistakes. That said, I think a full realization of where this technology is going to get to, just like with blockchain, is going to take some time. So I think that it'll take a good 15, 16 years before it truly enters the mainstream, just like with what we're beginning to see with blockchain. Got that. So so could you tell us a little bit about how do the efforts of Indian IT fare with global players, say someone like an Accenture, Capgemini, what are they doing differently? Actually, there's a little bit less difference than there used to be between these players. But I will say something. The ability to clearly express what is happening from a client perspective by spending more time closely with a client has always been an advantage of the likes of an Accenture or a Capgemini because they are in site, on site with client most of the time. Uh, while they do have lots of people back in India or in other, or the Philippines or other areas where they've got offshore development going on, that's only a portion of what they do. The Indian IT majors, consulting is, it's the other way around because consulting is only a portion of what they do. Most of what they do is offshoring and and IT outsourcing. So they will not be seen in the same ilk as an Accenture or as a Capgemini. That's not going to change anytime soon unless they have a significantly non-Indian workforce, which of course changes their cost paradigm. And so therefore they might not do that in a short time frame. Uh, There will be differentiation among the IT service providers. And I think to your point, it's fair to expect that the ones who are closer to the client and those when they've got more employment in the countries that the client has are more likely to scale this this curve quicker than the Indian IT majors who have most of their people here with us in India. So when we talk about enterprise use of Gen AI, 
there has to be some apprehensions, right? Because uh, this is giving access to proprietary data, security issues. Yes. There will be some, what happens, uh, given that these are most of it, open source is also being used. So tell us a little bit about what are the things that clients are worried about and how are companies sort of addressing this? So the first thing that I pointed out, Taripaya, is uh, garbage in, garbage out. This is a model that just goes out there and stitches together what seems to be okay. There is no test of reasoning, nor is there any test of veracity. They're still asking, if you look at, for instance, chat GPT, uh, GPT 3.5, GPT 4, and so forth, they're still asking for input from users like you and me to say, was this output good? Was it not good? What's wrong with it? Can it be changed? Was it factual? Was it not factual? It has not yet reached the point where when you get something that's generated from Gen AI kind of uh, engine, there's not reached a point where you're 100% sure that what is coming out with is true or correct. Second, it has a propensity to bias things based upon the bias of what's already out there. So people are worried about things such as racial bias or other biases that may already be out there. Well, I'll tell you, let me see how this that will shift in terms of true business use case. Let's say, you know, there is data out there that shows some kind of discrimination against a certain set of people by, say, an insurance company or a bank. And that has been coded in into articles and or social media and or because this thing doesn't really differentiate between a scholarly article and some nonsense on social media. So if somebody has put a lot of stuff on social media, which, which is say, you know, is defamatory to one particular community, it's likely that that sort of bias could be pulled in into an insurance company's underwriting of insurance policies for clients or to a bank's underwriting of loans for clients. And you don't want those sorts of biases to be pulled in into the machine because then it becomes it becomes just sort of very, very difficult to pull out. Today, the fact that you've got human beings overriding this process does allow for some of those biases to be taken out. But tomorrow, if you abdicate to the machine and the machine has got this garbage coming out, then you're in trouble. So this is a danger. The other danger is we find that a lot of these generative AI models, I wrote about this recently, a lot of these generative AI models are being still fed with data and interestingly the people who are feeding them with data are themselves using generative ai to come out with the with the answers so you've got in an attempt to try and make generative ai more smart people are using generative ai to start off with so the output is being taken from generative ai and then put back into generative ai as if it were brand new input which it's not so it's just regurgitating itself and it's getting worse and worse. So therefore, it's just going to compound the error, you know. And uh, the difficulty with that is fairly significant. So this is the second thing that needs to be worked through. I think it's still early days and people don't know where necessarily it's going to go. Understood. So, so in the very beginning, you were mentioning about how the nature of work will change, the kind of efficiency that uh, Gen AI will bring in. Do you think this kind of technology can completely replace jobs? No, I don't think so. I think it will help, like I said earlier on, it will help automate a large proportion of what we do, but it won't replace jobs completely. It will change the way we do work. Now, the most recent analogy I can give you is the automation of certain types of jobs in the BPO world by firms such as Automation Anywhere and um, Blue Prism and UiPath and others, which were taking highly repetitive kinds of work that was being done by BPO level people and automating it because it was just the interface with the computer screen. So what did that do? Did that reduce the number? People started talking in terms of virtual employees, the number of bots they had and so forth. Did that reduce employment there? Yes, it did. 
because it automated certain functions, which is just repetitive. But does that mean that the job lost there is forever lost? The answer to that is no, because, you know, with reskilling and putting people to now work on something different, it creates a different type of employment. It's just that the mind-numbingly boring work of going through every invoice now doesn't need to be done as much anymore because you've got bots doing that for you. So we'll continue to have this kind of automation, whether we like it or not, you know, over the next several decades. And we will never reach a 100% curve where everything is automated. It's not going to happen. We'll find more things that we automate, but not everything will be automated. This has also been the history of mankind. You know, certainly we've had a lot of automation in the last 200, 250 years. So thank you for your insights. It was lovely talking to you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah.